Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Kingdom of God was the very heart and soul of everything that Jesus taught. One can establish this simple fact very easily by consulting the beginning of the records of Jesus' ministry found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If, for example, you turn to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, you'll find there a wonderful programmatic summary statement of the whole point of Jesus' mission. In fact, the whole point of Christianity itself. Now, this may come as a little bit of a surprise to you if you haven't recently examined this passage of Scripture but in the first chapter of Mark, we find in verses 14 and 15, these words from Jesus, as he inaugurated his mission in Galilee, what we would now call the northern part of the land of Israel. Jesus, it says in Mark 1 verse 14, came into Galilee, proclaiming or heralding God's gospel. That's to say, God's good news. And he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, which gospel? In that context, obviously the gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, nothing could be more fundamental and more basic to the Christian faith than getting hold of the meaning of Jesus' primary term here, his basic and fundamental phrase, the kingdom of God. Repent obviously means to turn round, to change your lifestyle, to change your thinking, to reorientate yourself to a new horizon, but to repent in view of what? The great fact that Jesus laid before his audiences, namely that the kingdom of God was approaching, and indeed is approaching, because as we trace this kingdom idea throughout the Gospels, throughout the teaching of Jesus, we'll find that the kingdom of God did not, properly speaking, ever arrive during that ministry of Jesus in Palestine. The kingdom of God was still being waited for after the ministry of Jesus. For example, in Mark chapter 15, verse 43, towards the very end of this very same gospel of Mark, we read this, that Joseph of Arimathea, whom we learn elsewhere was a disciple of Jesus, a Christian disciple, was still waiting for the kingdom of God after the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, that must prove to any unbiased observer and investigator that the kingdom of God had not, properly speaking, arrived with the mission of Jesus. Nevertheless, Jesus said that the kingdom of God was at hand. We are to prepare for it. As we follow the idea through the New Testament, we will find furthermore in Luke 21:31 that Jesus later said, when you see these cataclysmic events associated with the future coming of the end of the age, then know that the kingdom of God is about to come. So what we have then in this combination of three verses in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, Mark 15, verse 43, and Luke 21 and verse 31 is a very simple picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom was something announced as the gospel by Jesus, it's a summary statement of all of his preaching. Jesus was a kingdom preacher always. We find, secondly, that the kingdom of God had not arrived 
even after the crucifixion of Jesus. And thirdly, we find that Jesus stated that the kingdom of God could be expected to be on the point of arriving at the end of the age, namely at the time when Jesus said he would return following a series of catastrophic and cataclysmic events to affect the world just prior to his second coming. Now, with that brief outline about the meaning of the kingdom of God, we will find that the kingdom is the center of everything that Jesus taught. All effort is directed towards the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom, said Jesus in Matthew 6.33. You are to pray, Thy kingdom come, said Jesus in the famous Lord's Prayer. You will find that verse in Matthew 6, verse 10. We can say with absolute confidence and without fear of contradiction that the kingdom was the center of Jesus' teaching. The kingdom of God was the main and determinative subject of all of Jesus' discourse. It's the driving idea behind all of his instruction. It's the motivating idea behind all of his teaching. With that in mind, one can then read Matthew, Mark, and Luke with much greater clarity. As you do so, you will find a tremendous emphasis on the kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, alternatively, the kingdom of heaven. And I must underline with all the emphasis at my disposal the fact that kingdom of God means exactly the same as the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven does not, incidentally, mean a kingdom in heaven. It means a kingdom which is going to come from heaven, a heavenly kingdom destined to appear on this earth in the future at the second coming when Jesus returns to this planet. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven idea, is based on many passages in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament. For example, in Daniel 2, verse 44, we find that the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom, going to establish a kingdom, inaugurate a world kingdom, a worldwide empire, if you like, and in charge of that kingdom will be one designated as the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is actually a symbol, meaning not only Jesus, but the saints, the followers of Jesus, the faithful, the holy ones. They are to be participants in that kingdom as co-rulers with Jesus. You'll find that plainly laid out in the seventh chapter of Daniel. And by the way, if you want a blueprint for understanding the Bible, few chapters could be more valuable than the seventh chapter of Daniel a veritable gold mine of information there about the Antichrist who is going to rule for a short period of time just prior to the second coming and a subsequent description of the kingdom of God being given to the saints and to the Son of Man. In verse 27 of Daniel 7 we read that the kingdom under the whole heaven, that's to say the kingdom of God on the earth, of course, under the whole heaven, will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, of God himself. And those saints, that verse goes on to say, will have the dominion and all nations and peoples and languages and creeds will serve and obey them. What you see there is a new authority structure, a new world government instituted by God using the Son of Man, Jesus the Messiah, and with the cooperation and participation of the faithful saints 
at the end of the age when Jesus returns. Daniel 7, I repeat, is a wonderful blueprint for an examination of the gist of the biblical story from one end of the Bible to another, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, having said that, I wonder if you are among those who find Bible reading difficult. Does it sometimes seem that you're forced to read bits and pieces which don't seem to connect well? Do you sometimes not feel that there's an underlying theme, that there's not a coherent plot in the biblical story as a whole? If so, I have hope for you. There is an overarching theme which binds all the parts of the Bible together in a very coherent and satisfying manner. That idea, I suggest, is precisely the idea that drove Jesus and his ministry, namely the kingdom of God. From the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, man was designated as a co-regent for God, his creator. Man was set on this earth to take charge of the planet. Man, as you know, fell. When I say man, of course, I include woman also in that designation. The first man and woman failed precisely because they listened to the clever lies of the devil. They did not pay attention to God's words and God's instructions. And because of that fatal error, they plunged the human race into a series of disasters and subsequent misery. The first 11 chapters of Genesis describe a period in world history in which man was more or less at odds with his creator. This disastrous situation ended in the flood in which only eight people survived. And later then at the Tower of Babel, the nations who had gathered to build themselves a tower leading to heaven had to be scattered so that their one world government would not lead to further disruption of the human scene. Now, it's when we come to Genesis chapter 12 that we find God, so to speak, making a brand new start. And he does this by taking one individual and his immediate family from Babylon, from a city called Ur of the Chaldees, and inviting him to go more or less in blind faith, trusting simply in God's plan and God's word, to go to a land unseen and unknown, namely to the land of Palestine. Now, that famous individual, of course, the father of the faithful, was Abraham. The story of Abraham lays the foundation of the Christian gospel. I am alluding there to a famous text in Galatians 3, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul states quite specifically that the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham. The gospel, you note, was preached to Abraham. It must, therefore, be of paramount interest to Christians to examine God's dealings with Abraham in order to find out what is involved in the Christian gospel. And I emphasize it was the Christian gospel, not some obsolete gospel for the Jews only, some Old Testament passé message of no relevance to us today, but the gospel itself, the gospel of salvation, said Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8, was first preached beforehand to Abraham, preached and proclaimed in advance to Abraham. And Paul in another place in Romans 15 said that Jesus Christ himself was a minister to the Jews to confirm the promises made 
to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. And so that story of Abraham and God's dealings with Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham, is of supreme importance to us as readers of the Christian New Testament, as seekers after truth, as those who want to serve Jesus by understanding God's great plan for restoring peace and order on our planet. Now, the Bible presents us with a challenge to study. In Acts 17, verse 11, we read that the Bereans in a city of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. And for that reason, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, they became true believers. So our challenge then to Bible readers is to investigate anew the story of the Bible from Abraham onwards, indeed from Genesis 1 onwards to Revelation. We suggest that God is in the process of working out a grand restoration scheme, and by means of the gospel, he invites all of us to take part in that wonderful plan to restore peace and harmony to our earth. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. Use the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. We'd be happy to send you a free copy for your own Bible study at home. You might like to have a copy of the tape you've been listening to. You can request that from us also. Remember in your study that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood in his first century Palestinian and Jewish context. We must try to read the truth out of the Bible rather than reading our own ideas into it. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.